Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, for those of you who I haven't met yet, uh, I'm Waylon. I'm one of the pastors here at Vox. Uh, I was on sabbatical uh, during the summer, uh, which was an extremely restful and restorative time for me and my family. Uh, being literally on the other side of the world in Australia really helps in being disconnected uh, and, and just resting. Uh, my kids kept saying the entire time how much they loved having hashtag vacation dad around. Because <laughs> they, yeah, they experienced sides of me that they'd never seen before. Apparently, I really enjoy taking selfies now. So that's me and my bud, uh, the ostrich, hanging out in uh, Australia. Um, so anyway, I'm extremely grateful for the, this gift that I received and also just for the support. Um, and, and the big reason I was able to fully rest and, and not really carry much anxiety was because we have an amazing team here, just with our staff and our, our VoxNav team. Yes. Uh, and just many of you all as well who really contribute and collectively offer leadership and care for this community. So thank you. Um, and so before I jump in, I do want to give you all a chance to reflect on this question. Uh, what comes to mind when you think about working in a team? Right? It could be challenges, it could be benefits, uh, but what surfaces for you when you think about teamwork? All right? I'll give you a moment to think about that, and if you're comfortable, feel free to share it with someone next to you. And if you're online, feel free to share that on the live chat. I'll give you a couple minutes. All right. Working as a team, all right? Let me hear some thoughts. What, 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 what came up for you guys as you were thinking about what it means to work on a team or what teamwork? Any thoughts? School group projects. School, school group projects. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think we all know. Okay. <laughs> I hear you. My daughter would 100% affirm that thought. Anything else? What's that? Communication. communication. So requiring good communication in a good team. Slackers. Okay, see where this is headed. Anything else? Gossip. Okay. I, sh I, I should be part of your teams. That sounds pretty fun. <laughs> About each other, though. Okay, that's not so fun. No. No, you're right. Anything else? Trust. Teamwork makes the dream work. All right. Um, so one of my highlights from my sabbatical trip was actually when we visited New Zealand, um, since we're already in Australia. And we spent most of our time on uh, the South Island, visiting Christchurch and Lake Takapo and, and Picton. And beautiful landscape, a lot of adorable black-nosed sheep. You have to meet them if you've never met them in your life. Uh, and at the end of the week, we were planning to take this three-hour ferry um, across to the North Island to visit Wellington. But the night before, there was this incoming storm. It was supposed to be the worst um, in decades. And so they canceled all the afternoon and evening ferries. And so I thought I was being smart by trying to jump the thing and just, we'll take the early morning one to try to get in before the storm. And so we get on, and then two hours in, when we were more than halfway there, the captain gets on and said, so we're turning back around, and we're going back to where we started, because the storm already hit, uh, which was pretty horrible. I mean, you're going four hours basically to go nowhere on really rough seas. So we tried again the next day, and there were still six-meter swells, 
Um, you know, initially leaving the harbor was really calm and beautiful. I mean, dolphins and seals were like swimming alongside us. It was wonderful. And then we hit the open ocean and just hit all these massive waves, just up and down, up and down. And initially, like all the kids on the ferry, they were like, they were jumping up and down like it was a roller coaster. I mean, it was fun for like 10 seconds. And then 10 minutes later, everyone was throwing up. <laughs> it's like kids, adults, didn't matter. Like there was just a lot of puking going on for three hours. <laughs> Fortunately, our family held it together. I'd given our kids meds and uh, everyone just pumped up their headphones as loud as possible to block out the noise. And at first I didn't notice them, but in the backdrop of all this chaos, you know, every crew member was going around picking up full vomit bags from passengers' hands. They were wiping down tables when they would miss their bags. They would be laying out these massive garbage bags for people who were just completely incapacitated. They were handing out ice chips for people to chew on. I mean, it felt so seamless and supportive and caring. And it was actually a beautiful image of just seeing how they worked collectively as a team even in this really chaotic environment. And they got me thinking about our own community. You know, as we've been navigating some pretty rough waves over the last couple of years. With the pandemic, with staff transitions, and not just us, but everyone in our own circles. They've been navigating some pretty rough waves over the last few years. And in the midst of that, how have we as a community been able to offer meaningful support and care and safety to those who hop on to our ferry. You know, some of you might be familiar with our values here at Vox. And these values have surfaced over the years. And they provide us with a vision of how we practice the life and teachings of Christ. So there's artistry, a posture of humility, empathy, participation, peculiarity, and mystery. And last month, our, our leadership team reflected on how the value of participation was a growth area for us, especially as people were adjusting back to in-person community and trying to relearn what it means to be engaged. Now, this is how we articulate our value of participation. We live in a culture where being in a church means shopping and consuming community. We invite you into a beautiful alternative, liturgy, which means the work of the people. Find your plot of the garden within the community and the world we live in and get your hands dirty. We welcome you as co-creators to become the hands and feet of Christ. Cultivate your soul, help us hold space for the spiritual journey of others and lean in to the literal call to call for and serve the earth we belong to. And so last week, uh, Jenna started this conversation and, and painted a beautiful picture of what participation has looked like over the years here at Vox. Uh, sometimes we've done it well. Sometimes we've continued unhealthy patterns. But we hope to be intentional about not simply consuming or being consumed when it comes to participating as a church community. And so over the next few weeks, uh, we'll continue to unpack this vision of participation uh, between Jenna, Christopher, and myself. And this morning, though, I'd like to reflect on that second sentence. 
we invite you into a beautiful alternative, liturgy, which means the work of the people. And so the question I want to explore this morning as we consider what participation looks like is how does liturgy invite us towards Christ's embodied vision of the church community? How does the work of the people invite us to a better alternative than consumer culture? And as we look at the text in 1 Corinthians 12, we'll explore Paul's image of the church as a body and how that informs our practice of participation in the work of the people. So we start in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And so Paul uses the image of a body to capture how a church community is lived out. Because the body has many different parts. All of them have different functions, and yet they're still part of the same body. But it's easy to differentiate parts and group them into separate systems, right? Like the digestive system or the nervous system. And once those distinctions are made, it makes it easier to determine what parts or what systems are more important or which ones are less important. And unfortunately, the same dynamic was at play in the early church. There were clear distinctions based on different ethnicity, social status, gender, wealth, which made it easier to exclude certain people. And Paul recognized how easy it is for us to place people in groups and to create distinctions that define who belongs and who doesn't. But God's heart and vision is not to exclude or to divide. And Paul emphasizes this in a letter to the Galatian church when he writes that there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And he's calling out the tribalism that we inherently are drawn to. Our consumer culture is tailored to create comfort by being surrounded by what's familiar and what's similar. It's easier and more comfortable to exist and belong in an echo chamber. But that reinforces our blind spots when it comes to how we engage with God and others. And so for us, liturgy, the work of the people, it invites us to expand and include, which is the alternative to a limited, homogenous expression. There's beauty and there's challenge in facilitating a safe space that allows a fuller representation of the complete image of God. And the work of the people is an opportunity to expand and include the presence and voices of those we've tended to ignore. You know, as Jenna mentioned last Sunday, Fox started as a second-generation Chinese immigrant church plant. We were 99% Asian and 99% student. And last time I checked, that's not quite representative of the demographic of our city or this world we live in. But we had a predominantly Asian-American presence and voice. That's who was showing up. That's who our leadership was. 
All our musicians and speakers were very homogenous. And as we continued to develop and grow as a community, it became clear that we had a very limited lens in how we embodied the life and teachings of Jesus. And so over the years, we tried to be intentional about identifying the presence and voices of those that were missing, that were lacking. Some of that came naturally, right? People started to graduate, started careers, got married, started families. Uh, and so that began to expand at least our experience and somewhat our worldview. And in the literal sense, we were actually expanding because all the little babies were just running rampant in space 12. And then some of that expansiveness came through engaging justice work in a historically underserved neighborhood here in East Austin. And we began to connect with those outside of our Asian American bubble. And then we began to have conversations about what it meant to be an inclusive community for our LGBTQ siblings. And it wasn't simple or an easy process to expand and include. I mean, we were still carrying blind spots, and even today we still carry blind spots. But over the years, one of the areas we've tried to expand and include our voices are the ones that offer homilies on Sunday. If you've been at Vox for an extended period of time, you'll notice we have a diverse teaching team and members of our Vox community that offer homilies that engage scriptures through their unique experience and voice and presence. And each of them represents a different part of our community, a different facet of the image of God. And rather than offering a homogenous voice and perspective each week, we wanted the voices to reflect the expansive makeup of our community, of the larger body of Christ. And so for us, maybe something we can reflect on as we consider what participation looks like is whose presence and voices are missing. What parts of the full body of Christ have been neglected in our community? What are the blind spots that we still have where we need to expand and include? And at the same time, maybe we're invited to reflect on what presence and voice each of us can bring. You know, we've tried to facilitate our liturgy as an accessible way to be part of the work of the people, whether it's reading prayers, or serving coffee, serving communion, helping with greenhouse. You know, all of these are opportunities where they're set up where you can literally just show up as you are. We provide scripts and instructions. There's not much preparation involved. And there are other opportunities to participate that might involve more preparation, like our prayer writing team, or our tech team, our music team. And our hope is, through these opportunities, we will continue to expand the presence and voices that are expressed to reflect the fuller image of God. And so for in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And then we continue in verse 14. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, 
each of them as God chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. So Paul's painting a ridiculous image of, of what the body would look like if it were over-functioning as one part. And while it seems absurd to consider a body that's all eyes or all ears, I think the, Paul, the point Paul's trying to make is that we have a tendency to overuse or focus solely on one part. In a way, he's speaking to the over-functioning that our society expects. You know, our consumer culture creates a vicious cycle which emphasizes results and what we produce. It demands that we create and produce more than we might need, even if it comes at the expense of those who can't afford it the most. We highlight and reward those who, have, who are high-functioning, and we end up relying on those same parts again and again. You know, reading Paul's reflection here, uh, it actually brought to mind a pastor of a church uh, that I was involved in right after college. And the first Sunday I visited, um, he, you know, he was there greeting people, handing out bulletins. And then he got onto the stage, started playing piano, led the worship. And then he moved over to the pulpit, started preaching. And then he moved back to the piano, played some music. And then he pulled out a sheet, made all the announcements, which, you know, it's kind of impressive. But also, it's just not sustainable, right? For him, for the community. And so for us, liturgy, the work of the people, invites us towards sustainability, which is the alternative to over-functioning. You know, how might we share in the work by not being over-reliant on certain people or certain parts of the body? You know, this diagram shows, right, how, how do we find the right balance where we won't be over-functioning, which leads to burnout, but we also won't be overly boundaried and don't participate at all. You know, with our physical bodies, if we overuse a muscle, it can lead to injury. And at the same time, when we keep using the same muscle over and over, other muscles become underdeveloped, which can also lead to injury. And this, this dynamic can apply to our community as well. You know, during the early years leading up to Vox, uh, our, Vox our, our liturgy was very production-oriented. Actually, we called it a gathering. We didn't even call it a liturgy. And there was a full band every week. I think sometimes we even had a DJ. There may or may not have been a smoke machine. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, Harmon was also sporting, sporting his hair swoop, which I was trying to find a picture, but I didn't want to embarrass him. Um, but week in and week out, it was a grind. You know, Harmon, we were just reminiscing about this, but Harmon would, he would have to go up to, to Round Rock every Sunday morning where we stored our trailer full of all our gear. He'd hook it up, drive it down to UT campus, set it up after our gathering, tear it all down, pack it all back in the, the trailer, and then drive it all the way back up to Round Rock. And it seemed like we were using and emphasizing the same muscles over and over, right? People who could over-function, people who were results-oriented, creating this environment and atmosphere that was more about feeding the consuming needs of our young community. But that was a recipe for burnout. And a couple years into Vox, we had to move locations. And during that year, we tried an experiment with a stripped-down service at night during the evening 
just an acoustic set, not overproduced, you know, something that could offer a more reflective space. And it was, gave us a glimpse of what could be. But it wasn't until we moved to space 12, uh, where we finally hit that breaking point, we hit that wall, because we never stopped overusing the muscles of achievement and results when we were trying to run a community center and a church plant. And so out of necessity, we slowly began to shift to using muscles that were extremely underdeveloped, right? Muscles involving stillness and silence, making space for voices and practices that moved us away from overfunctioning and towards a more sustainable path of liturgy and community. But I'll be honest, in some ways, that pendulum swung all the way to the other side, right? Where we became very protective, overboundaried, and, and we moved away from participation in, in many ways. And now as we're here at Vesper, right, looking to re-engage out of the pandemic, we're hoping to apply the lessons that we've learned in a healthier way. Because the work of the people is a literal invitation towards a more sustainable way and practice of liturgy where we don't become overly reliant on one specific part of the body. And for us, maybe something we can reflect on is, you know, what does sustainability look like for us? I think it's okay for some of us to be committed to our boundaries and not overextend ourselves. And at the same time, it's also important for some of us to consider what it might, what it looks like to share in the work. It's important for us in this next season of re-engagement that we discern and find the right balance between being over-boundaried and over-functioning. And I think liturgy provides us with that practice space. So if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. And then we close in verse 22. The members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior members, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. And so once again, you know, Paul addresses our tendency to elevate or dismiss people based on some external measure. We default to a binary lens when we label weaker or inferior parts of the body. And it's unfortunate this, that this has happened throughout the history of the church. Right? People have always been scapegoated and marginalized within the church, whether it's women or whether it's people of color or whether it's our LGBTQ siblings. And for most of the evangelical church's history, anyone who was not a white male was dismissed or viewed as weaker or less respectable or less honorable. And like Paul is trying to articulate and address this disease within the church, many on the margins have continued drawing attention to this. Richard Twiss, who was a descendant of the Sioux and uh, Lakota tribe of South Dakota, 
he wrote about how the greater church viewed the Native American church. He wrote this, he said, in all this time, the non-Native evangelical community has yet to say to the Native American Christian community, we need you. And why not? Because differing cultural worldviews determine how value is assigned, measured, or determined, whether for a person, group, or thing. The ethnocentric and biased Euro-American worldview has greatly hindered the church community's ability to see Native believers as valuable and necessary members of the body of Christ. The flow of ministry between the Anglo and Native churches is always almost in the top-down direction, a one-way flow of goods, services, ministry, and resources from the Anglo church to the lower Native church. And he's highlighting how it's so natural for us to default to a hierarchical standing of who is valued and prioritized. Because our consumer culture is centered around privilege and establishing a hierarchy that maintains power and influence for those who are privileged. It keeps that top-down funnel in place at the expense of those who lack access and privilege. And so for us, liturgy, the work of the people, invites us to mutuality and collaboration, which is the alternative to hierarchy. Instead of maintaining a hold on power and influence, how are we invited to learn from each other, to live in a way that makes space, especially for those who lack access and privilege? You know, like I shared earlier, uh, my sabbatical this past summer was a gift. It was a gift of rest and restoration. It came at a much needed time for me personally, um, you know, especially after the last couple of years that we endured and navigated as a community. And in a lot of ways, to be able to be completely dis disconnected, well, it served as a complete reset for everything that I had been carrying. And as I had time to reflect on how I would re-enter this community after sabbatical, I really sensed God's invitation to, to embrace that image of a reset. Because that's the reality of what we all experienced over the past couple of years. A reset from the pandemic and the impact that it had on everyone. A reset for the staff as a couple of our pastors left. A reset in moving away from a lead pastor hierarchy and embodying a pastoral team model. A reset in adding Christopher to our pastoral team last December. And in all of that, it's been an opportunity for me to learn a new way of, of collaborating, of leading. And then being away for the past three months, it's, it's served as a reset on how I engage and interact with this community. You know, I'm sure I, there are folks that have come while I was not here, even during the pandemic when we were online. And so that's an opportunity for me to learn this community. And so I've shared this with our leadership team and our members, but the image I'm trying to embrace as I re-enter and come back from sabbatical is that I'm re-entering with a posture as a new hire, right? Like I want to experience this community as a new employee. 
which is why my new nickname is like the new guy right now, or Christopher affectionately calls me New Way. <laughs> and in my attempt to find an alternative to hierarchy and entitlement, like I'm really wanting to truly embody mutuality and collaboration. There's a lot that I want to learn about this community and what each member has to offer and teach me. I want to ensure that we make space for the voices that have been historically left out. And so, Vox, as we close this morning, my hope is that as we emerge from an extended season of disconnection and virtual community, that we can move towards a healthy practice of re-engagement and participation, whether that's in the context of liturgy, you know, the work of the people every Sunday, or in the context of justice work within our neighborhood and our city. And as we embody the life and teachings of Christ, may we find sustainable ways to expand and include, even in the midst of turbulent waves. Let me close with this prayer. God, whose love is expansive and inclusive, always drawing in and never excluding, may we be aware of our own blind spots to the presence and voices that are still lacking among us. Jesus, who offered a new way of life and taught us how to care for each other and ourselves, may we learn how to be good stewards, to participate in a way that's sustainable and life-giving. And Spirit, who has gifted each of us with unique gifts and identity, may we move towards a posture of mutuality in order to live and love more fully in a collective way. We ask all this in the love of God our Creator, the mystery of Christ, and the accompaniment of the Spirit. Amen.